Welcome to the Stan Sigmund Leadership and Innovation Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jeffrey Babb. Join me in insightful conversation with business leaders and innovators as we explore the ideas, principles, and values that have informed their success. Welcome. Today we're speaking with Chris Rennie. Welcome, Chris, and thank you for taking the time out to participate. Before we get started, can you introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your background? Thank you, Dr. Babs. It's a thrill to be here. Um, I grew up in rural Kansas, so I can relate a little bit to the culture of West Texas, I think. And I graduated from a small university in Kansas, and I immediately began working for the regional telephone company at that time. I spent about 15 years in the wireline industry, if you will, in the telecommunications. And then I had the opportunity in the early 90s to move to wireless. And at that time, we were very decentralized. But so my role was all of technology, all of IT, and all of customer care for a very small geographic region. region. Um, and then over time, in the early 90s, I was invited to move to Dallas, Texas, which is where I met Stan Sigmund and started working with and for Stan Sigmund. And ultimately, I became the chief technology officer with the merger of Singular and AT&T Wireless, companies that uh, you may or may not be familiar with, in 2004. And I continued to work for Stan until he retired in the 2008-2009 timeframe. I have since retired from the AT&T family of companies. I retired in 2014 as the senior vice president of network technologies. Wow, uh, that's um, uh, that's a real uh, impressive uh, rise to the ranks. And I think that when we, um, as we continue our conversation, we'll probably learn quite a bit more about that. Uh, so I thank you for getting us started with the introduction. So the podcast is called the Stan Sigmund Leadership and Innovation Podcast to be uh, uh, supportive and, and sister concern to um, the on-campus series component of it. Can you tell us more about who Stan Sigmund was and what would interest the listener about him? I'd love to. He was a, a boss, a mentor, and a good friend. Um, I think before we talk about Stan's leadership or his capabilities, I think it's important to set the stage on what did the wireless industry look like at that particular point in time. This is the early 90s now. Spectrum is the lifeblood of any wireless network and Spectrum is allocated by the Federal Communications Committee. So in the 1984 timeframe, Spectrum was, a bit of Spectrum was given, allocated to the regional telephone companies. And at that point in time, I think the belief was across the industry that we'd be lucky if we got a million subscribers across the entire United States. And so think of Spectrum like a, if your students still have FM radios in their cars, mm -hmm. uh, FM radio is a band of Spectrum. Mm -hmm. And so the telcos would have received a band of Spectrum. And then there are frequencies within that. So when you turn to 90.1 on your FM stereo, that's different than 88.5. Well, those are different frequencies within that Spectrum band. Mm -hmm. So this is now the 80s. And... We're building out wireless networks, but we're doing them on a very regional basis. So if you have your cell phone in 
Canyon, Texas, most likely it's from Amarillo. Mm -hmm. When you went to Dallas, your rate plan didn't apply. Your your phone not, might not even work there mm -hmm. uh, because of differences in the technology and the way we sold it. Um, so it was voice only. It was very geographical and it was not very portable. The definition of portable in the early 90s would have been take a laptop and put four of them together, stack them on top of each other, put a handle on it, and then put a put an antenna on it that would be about the thickness of your index finger and then make it about six inches long. That was portability. That was, uh, <laughs> that was a portable device in the early 90s. So Stan came to leadership in the wireless industry when it was very local. We had very divergent technologies in the United States. The United States was using different spectrum bands than the rest of the globe. Mm -hmm. um, and so we had our own challenges um, in the United States and we were doing it very local. So that's when Stan came to the industry. And when Stan retired from the industry, we had national communications, we had iPhone, we had data technologies. We were not all about voice. We had national coverage. We built out the networks. We consolidated the networks. And the phone that you used, you could use in Europe or China or Japan or, or Africa or Latin America. So Stan was a leader, not only in what is now the AT&T family of companies, but in the United States and to a certain extent globally in terms of driving the way technology was developed and pursued, how the industry moved through regulation and dealt with those regulatory challenges and how we funded ourselves and how we supported our customers throughout all of that. So in my time working directly for Stan, I probably went through six or seven or eight different mergers and acquisitions, uh, went through at least six different technology changes, um, many different regulatory challenges, et cetera. And throughout that, Stan was a leader um, and Stan was an individual of integrity who drove those changes and facilitated those changes. Mm -hmm. Well, I think your answer certainly um, um, gives us a great perspective on the question, which is, why would people uh, be interested about him? And it's clear to me that um, there was uh, a, a purpose and, and almost gravity to the leadership you describe to take, uh, well, all of us, but all of us by virtue of an industry into a new space into a space where what we enjoy to be commonplace today, almost like breathing air, yes. um, is not accidental. And in fact, perhaps the environment was stacked against that innovation, um, which is probably where, you know, the series is called Leadership and Innovation. That's probably where the um, leadership matters the most. Um, well, I'm going to um, appreciate that. Uh, I think you've partially answered this question already, but I'll still pose it. From your experience, why is leadership uh, such an important component of innovation and diffusion? Well, I think a leader doesn't have to be the innovator. Um, in some cases they are, 
but that's probably the exception rather than the rule. So what the leader has to be very capable of though is the ability to communicate some very clear goals and clear priorities so that the team, those people working with him have the ability or her have the ability to focus on what are those clear set of priorities and then innovate inside of that. So then the leader also has to have trust mm -hmm. and the team has to have trust. And a lot of that is based on the integrity of the leader. I kind of didn't talk about how I think your students today are facing an industry that has parallels to what I just talked about when mm -hmm. Stan came in, in that it was a very diverse lack of interoperability. Their connectivity, as you say, was not ubiquitous. Where now it is more, you expect it. It's like air. Mm -hmm. And their connectivity had to do with a time and a place where now it has to do with a person and the medium or the application that they so choose. Mm -hmm. So I think your students are now facing an opportunity where we need to move beyond that as we talk about however you define metaverse and deal with issues such as privacy and security and consistency in terms of the customer being in more control of those services. So it's, it's a different set of challenges, but I think the leadership that we're gonna talk about that we saw in Stan and others is the leadership that we need for this next evolution. Right. So it's, uh, it's an, it seems like it's an equal uh, catalyst of sorts where it's not necessarily the case that innovation by itself will survive and certainly leadership without cause won't survive. So it seems like an interesting balance, which is a reasonable segue to a next question. As a recurring theme for each episode thus far, so with every guest I've been able to speak with, I've posed a nature versus, excuse me, nurture versus nature um, question to these guests. And the question is this, is leadership innate or can it be developed? What do you think? It's an excellent question. I, I think it takes some of both. Um, we all have skills and talents. And so developing those skills and talents what nature has given us is a critical piece of it. But then it also has to be nurtured. It needs to, you need to ha have an environment where you can experiment with those skills and talents that, that it's protected to a certain extent that you're allowed to incubate, if you will, and provided some guidance and some subsole direction. So that nurturing that makes up the components of leadership of those skills and talents that you've been blessed with, that's a critical piece, piece of it. So it's it's both the nature and the nurture. Right, and 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 that's um, I that resonates with me, and, and I've gotten a reasonable take from both. But it's always a great answer, and I think it's important for everybody to hear when they're particularly trying to aspire uh, towards goals, you know, to work on their own self development that. Um, some of uh, this is actually the degree to which, you know, you supply that nurture to yourself um, and recognize it when you're getting it from others. You would particularly mention, um, you know, Stan Sigmund being a boss, but also a mentor. That would yes. be uh, part of that. Um, this is a good segue into um, 
uh, a theme that's arisen from speaking to others um, on the podcast. Other guests have shared that accountability and trust are core competencies in leadership. So assuming that that's a trait of character and habit, that is accountability, what is necessary to achieve these qualities, things like accountability and trust, or do you see it differently? I think there's clarity is a piece. Um, it's clarity in the role. It's clarity in the goals. What are you trying to accomplish as a, a subordinate or as a leader or as a peer? And then once you've got a level of clarity around those roles and those goals, then it is taking ownership of that. Mm. And a critical piece of the ownership is the accountability for it, the, the, the drive and the desire and the need to execute towards those goals, ignoring, not ignoring those obstacles, but figuring out creative ways collectively and individually to overcome the obstacles towards those goals. But it's, it first comes with some clarity around what are those roles and then taking that accountability and, mm -hmm. and delivering against that accountability. You know, outside of um, certainly having um, good mentors, um, some of that seems to be, you know, certainly um, the habit of mind and the habit of action. And so particularly when we think about a student who on the whole is earlier in their journey, you know, their, their professional journey, their life journey, um, they really come out of, if you think about it, um, particularly in the K through 12 system, <laughs> where a lot of, uh, a, a lot of things are, are, um, not spelled out as the right way, but there's quite a bit of structure. And it seems like leadership is also somewhat related to um, making structure, um, looking into the problem space and, you know, becoming determined on goals and obviously holding yourself and others accountable. So how, how um, what would be a way for a student to start to embrace that change between really how they exist um, by and large, not exclusively in the K through 12 system versus, you know, the becoming of an adult and ultimately to um, the sort of uh, professional that you've been describing. I, I'm glad you asked because it's a passion I have, Dr. Babb, where it's uh, that engagement. Engagement, sometimes it's in the classroom, but often it is outside the classroom. So sports, music, theater, debate, student government, various clubs participating. And I don't think you have to wait till college to do this. I think that mm -hmm. can happen in the elementary and particularly the high school level. Uh, but that engagement where you're having that experience of building teams, building leadership skills, building community, building that interpersonal trust that's gonna be required throughout the rest of your life you're also beginning to learn about who you are and that set of principles in terms of what do you personally stand for and what do you want to be perceived um, as standing for? And that's the integrity that you're going to develop also as you, as you build on that. You mentioned in one of our earlier conversations that you do have a community of remote students as, mm -hmm. as well. And, and mm -hmm. I think that is an excellent way to develop those skills. But I also would challenge a remote student to find ways to engage either in the teams that are associated with a particular class 
but also in their local community. There are ways to engage from a volunteer standpoint, volunteer roles, et cetera, that are also developing those skill sets and capabilities as well. Right. Uh, and it seems like, no, that's, that's a wonderful because the, the gist of the question is that, um, you know, what would pre preparation for uh, success and leadership entail? And this engagement uh, that you describe uh, certainly seems to be topping your prescription list. But if you think about that, um, the engagement also provides the opportunity to define and hone and shape this integrity, right? I, I don't know that integrity is anything but a series of instances where it's um, refined and challenged by opportunities to consider it. Well, you have a, a set of ethics and a set of morals, either uh, innate or what you've learned, but that integrity is being true to those and being true to yourself in terms of what you say is what you mean. What you, what you say is what you're going to do. And if you aren't able to do it, being able to articulate the why or the when, if that's changed in some way. It's, it's the foundation of not only who you are, but who you are as a leader or who you are as a team member or who you are as an employee. And at the end of the day, it's the only thing that we have at the end of all of our skills and talents and gifts yeah. and training and all of that else is our integrity. Perfect. And, and the engagement is a great way from listening to my take is the engagement is a great way to understand and embrace who you are, which is a way to bolster, you know, and shape and, and make clear for yourself, um, you know, this integrity, because the integrity is the result usually of choices. Um, it's certainly being true to a framework, but that truth is revealed as you, you know, the next circumstance unfolds. Right. Um, and, and that's, that's difficult for, uh, I think sometimes people in development to think, oh, is it just that simple? except for that these things are probably not inherently simple at all, but, you know, the mechanic of, you know, what you need to explore and discover and, you know, improve upon is simple to understand, perhaps um, not necessarily difficult to execute, but it does require some judiciousness. Right. Um, in uh, last year, so in 2021, um, the genesis of even having this podcast arose from um, the Friends of Stan Sigmund um, and then West Texas A&M University and the Paul and Virginia Engler College of Business um, coming together and, you know, looking for ways to um, honor Stan and, and the enthusiasm um, that he basically had for not only the West Texas region, but certainly um, the university. And so that we uh, had launched uh, the Stan Sigmund Leadership and Innovation Series, which is largely an on-campus event. We had Ralph De La Vega here. And when particularly um, the Friends of Stan Sigmund um, were preparing for that event, they developed a core set of values and principles, and they've really become kind of a, a conceptual glue, or at least a thematic glue, for a lot of the activities of the series of which this podcast is in support of. And they had articulated a core set of values and principles, and they were felt to be really reflective of Stan's approach to business and life relationships. So I'm going to go ahead and read them because we'll, we're going to kind of transition to focusing on them. And you've certainly um, come and been prepared to talk to several of them, but you would, predict, you would selected one of them in particular. So 
the values and principles that had been developed at the time were authenticity. We've discussed that a bit. Uh, integrity, accountability. We've also discussed teamwork, execution, people, communication, empathy, respect, and vision. So as I had indicated, when we were speaking earlier in preparation for this conversation, you had indicated that integrity is the principle you'd most like to elaborate on. So why is integrity so critical to leadership and innovation? I think it's fundamental. It's the foundation of everything. As Stan said, integrity is the only thing that we have of lasting value, and that's what he lived, and that's what he said. So you could put your trust in what he said. You could put your trust that he was going to do what he said, and if for whatever reason he was not able to do that, you had some understanding of why. So with that integrity and what he expected of you from an integrity standpoint as well, there was just a bond. There was a, there was a trust level where you knew the roles and the scope and you could go take those risks knowing that what he said, that's what he would do. And you couldn't cut corners because we were gonna do it the right way. Um, and that integrity and consistency in that just made for all of these other things. I think it's a fundamental of what we're talking about in terms of it made teamwork possible. It made people um, and the trust between people and the communications clear and the respect. All of those things kind of flowed out of that base integrity, the foundation. Right. Um, you had uh, mentioned earlier in a conversation, and I feel this is somewhat related to that integrity. Um, and, and you had mentioned team building um, and, you know, the trust, all these really important, um, and they're largely behavioral phenomena. They're, they're both how people choose to behave and choose to orient and interact and collectively um, work towards achieving goals. But you had mentioned to me in an earlier conversation and in some correspondence that Sten Sebin gave many of your female peers, as well as yourself, obviously, opportunities at AT&T when that was not the norm in the industry. I'd certainly like to hear more elaboration on that, please. When I came to uh, work more directly for Stan in the early 90s, um, at that time, we were probably called Southwest World Mobile Systems. So as a precursor to what is now the AT&T family of companies. But um, he had senior leadership in who were females in legal, IT. I was in network finance, customer care, as well as some local market leaders. Now, some of those are traditional female roles. I would point to customer care as possible example, but many of those are not traditional female roles. And so I would say for my legal counterparts and definitely for myself in network, when I met with my peers at suppliers or I met in industry meetings, I was the only female in the room. Hmm. Um, and I'm sure that my legal peers and my IT peers, and in some cases, my finance and customer care peers had that same situation. Um, and again, he, 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 he would uh, get to know people, begin to develop people um, and put his trust in people. And he looked past what your degree was, 
where what university you graduated from, what region of the country you came from, whether you were male, female, Hispanic, mm -hmm. African-American, whatever. He, he looked past those things and he gave many of we females unique roles and the opportunity to succeed or fail within those roles. Do you think that was, um, uh, was that a, a proactive uh, strategy or more of working against these fundamental values and principles, meaning that there I've seen, you know, because this is a, this is an issue um, in some fields. And I think that to some degree, depending on where we're speaking of more broadly, I know we're speaking of the uh, wireless and telecommunications industry, but being that we could understandably put that in the umbrella of, you know, of IT, um, there's, there's, there are issues and we're both sort of agreeing to them, but do you think that that set of opportunities, I, I think I heard your answer, but the set of opportunities wasn't strategically uh, necessarily to uh, develop some type of balance other than just saying, you know, if, if you are, you know, abide by, um, you know, really good, solid character and good work ethic and all that, then the rest of it was um, really unimportant, which, which I think, would, I think fundamentally he knew it was the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, but I would not, I don't want that to um, infer that he, he operated under some sort of internal quota system or anything mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, there are times when particularly in that era where corporations did have quotas mm -hmm. uh, and should have quotas. Mm -hmm. And and so it, he obviously had integrity in that as well, but it was more a case of looking at leadership equitably, giving a fair shot and mm -hmm. getting to know that individual and then putting trust and confidence in them and providing an environment for them to, to succeed. Um, so I, I think he was more than willing to do that. And I, I think that's the, the, that seems to be the really key component is um, the best thing you can get. And, and this is almost specifically um, perhaps, you know, given that I'm speaking from an edu educational context, but the best thing you can do is provide the opportunity and room for people to grow and become. Right. And and that and that's what that's what I hear in in how you're sharing there. Right. Um, so if we if we think about um, this background, um, and I kind of alluded to it uh, in just this just a bit ago, um, you've achieved uh, in your introduction you've achieved significant leadership success in a technology area. Um, and that's resonant for me as a computer uh, information systems professor. Computer information systems is a different animal because, you know, it commonly exists in the College of Business. So it's by design meant to strike a particular balance, um, you know, between the organizational and the technical. Uh, but regardless, um, I find that it's still vital and you provide an opportunity to do so to provide words of encouragement and inspiration to women considering um, or currently working on a career in IT. Um, so what would you say um, in terms of providing some encouragement and inspiration to um, these women? Uh, Dr. Babbitt, something I have a great passion about in that I think technology is desperate for female leadership. 
and participation. I think it's critical for the driving of the products and services of the future. And the reason I say that is anything that's going to be successful has to represent its customer base. And so if you don't have equity around that table, be it male, female, or, or a different race, you're, not, you're gonna miss something about that future, about that capability. So I think we as women have responsibility to continue to hone those technical skills. Unfortunately, I think past generations, we've kind of lost that somewhere around middle school. Well, we need to be mentors for those middle school kids, mm -hmm. the women to have them stay in math and science and continue to develop in math and science. And for the students on your campus, those women who might be struggling with, with hey, I'm the only female in this room, or um, I just don't like the way this is working, et cetera. I, I'd encourage you to stick with it because it's got huge opportunity, both across the entire sector of products and services that will be developed in the future. So I think it's critically important. The other challenge that I would place out there for for women is to take that opportunity to build and try out your skills outside the job as well as inside the job. I, I would say that part of my success was being willing to volunteer for some of those more challenging uh, aspects in terms of when they wanted an interdepartmental committee to work on X issue, there were often that I would step into that. Number one, I learned a lot more about the business. Number two, I learned a great deal from peers and I developed a network through that in terms of peers that I knew I could trust as we moved issues forward. So take those on. And it gave me the opportunity to, again, develop skills and capabilities in new areas. The other challenge that I would give to women is a lot of it shows up in Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In, but to listen, because I think typically we're, we're very good at that. I don't wanna pigeonhole it, but mm -hmm. I think we're very good at that. But then speak when it's time to speak and appropriate to speak. And you have a voice that needs to be heard around that table, whatever the definition of that table is. So, mm -hmm. so it's, it's trusting, your training, your skills, your experience, and knowing that you add value and listen for those opportunities and then speak up and lean in and volunteer and be a part. That's, uh, that's really good advice. Uh, it's, it's consistent with other messages I've heard um, um, in response to the same prompt. I recall um, when I first started working here at West Texas A&M University, there was a, um, a female student and she was really good or really quick uh, um, to pick up things, particularly in regarding to programming, which is what I tend to teach in. I remember just years later, um, I was able to take a group of students to go and visit um, her workplace in Austin. Um, she was working for a really large computer manufacturer and it's um, headquartered in Austin. And, um, and I recall um, it, was very, it was very inspiring to hear her boss at the time, sort of speaking to um, the arc that she had taken both as an intern and on 
But a really interesting thing to say about leadership, and I think it made me think about, you know, when you were making the reference to lean in, sometimes uh, the way he had characterized it is the leadership isn't necessarily being the boss and telling people what to do, which I think is the average student's conception, but it's to sally forth, you know, to go in and become involved. And that's, you know, you had spoken to engagement earlier. Um, I, I see a pretty consistent theme there. Um, and I appreciate those words of encouragement. Um, I think I, I would ahead. also tell you, I would also tell you from experience, there are times when you've led from the side uh, in a team of peers that are way more rewarding than when you've led a direct team. <laughs> oh, sure, sure. You yeah. overcome yeah. communications and different, differing priorities and differing values, et cetera. And, and uh, so that's exciting also. For whatever it's worth, um, although I've seen an equal amount, but I know that um, I, I teach a senior project class where, you know, the students pretty much synthesize the, you know, the sum of parts to work on a project. And I've often seems that I see, have seen, it's been my experience that um, when the, the women really connect that bridge between the teamwork and the technology, um, they're not exclusively effective at it, but when they're effective, they're particularly effective. So, um, you know, that's all encouragement. I sometimes also give some of my um, female students. Um, so really, we're, we're talking about a, a, an important synthesis of a lot of these values and principles um, from Stan um, Sigmund. And really, we've both been doing it in our conversation. And, and the it is, we want to resonate these values and principles um, for others and particularly with students. So in our correspondence, you had mentioned to me that you also found communication, authenticity, and accountability to be a very complementary integrity. And although I think you've already touched on that, would you have any more to add to that? But particularly on the communications, Stan might be described as a man of few words, but they were impactful words. Um, as he was leading the industry, he would typically only have three goals. That would be, you know, rate of penetration, rate of return, and retention. So those were our three R's. We all knew them by heart, et cetera. And they basically measure your customer growth, how you're doing on your financials, and then your customer uh, satisfaction or your quality piece. They drove those things. And so he would communicate very clearly and then he would give you freedom and accountability and the right to execute within those um, and i would remember some very difficult transitions that we would be going through where he would establish checkpoints not that he needed to be in all of that detail he respectfully sat through it and listened and asked questions but he would establish these checkpoints, number one, just to so that he would know and be able to represent appropriately to the stakeholders or regulatory body or whatever the external pieces are. But secondly, just to provide encouragement. I remember uh, Bill Hogue, the gentleman that you interviewed uh, previously, mm -hmm. he and I were presenting on a very difficult technology transition that we were collaborating on. And he'd listen to all of these challenges that we were facing and 
what we were doing about them and how they were impacting some schedules, which you never like to be the person to deliver that bad news, but it happens. Mm, right. Um, and he took that moment to just say, this company is so fortunate to have you, Bill Hogue, and you, Chris Rainey, doing this job and so in that moment when you've you've laid it all out there he established a trust and a confidence in your ability to execute against that that oh my goodness we went out of there and had 10 times the energy we had going in (laughs) there to execute and deliver and to overcome those obstacles Um, and so that 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 trust and that motivation and that communication and that authenticity, but also making sure that you are accountable and that you know that you want it and are accountable for it, were just huge in so many areas. And we we always need that kind of leadership. It doesn't matter what the issue is. Certainly sounds like um, uh, he was in the communication, even if it was um, you know brief or terse at times. Um, really was effective in in hoaxing or or um, inducing the best out of uh, those around him, and and I've heard that um, very consistently in all these conversations. Um, I'm going to end off being a little self serving here. Um, um, so the penultimate uh, question here would be: um, We've come back to uh, the value of education, and you've sort of alluded to it earlier, and, and not only you and I, but in prior guests and. The friends of Stan Sigmund, Sigmund were very um, um, uh, ardent in reminding me how, you know, the benefit here um, should at least, you know, the first thought in our mind should be, well, how can we benefit students? How can we benefit those coming up who are, you know, the future leaders and future innovators and, and giving them encouragement and wisdom? So from that premise, I'll ask you sort of a two-part question. What is the value of education? And assuming there is some value, what is the best way to maximize that value? Well, continuing your education, number one, demonstrates that you're investing in yourself. Um, you're investing in order to learn some fundamentals and whatever your chosen uh, discipline is. But you're also, when I look at a resume, Dr. Babb, I would be looking not only for what that is degree is in, but what did you do? while you were there. How did you engage? Because I think at West Texas, you have the opportunity because it's a unique environment where a student has probably a much more diverse campus environment than they had wherever their home was. And it's a unique opportunity in life to engage in that community, either in the classroom and outside the classroom, again, the sports, the arts, the, uh, the other opportunities that the university avails to you, or even just volunteering for different kinds of, uh, of efforts. So I think it demonstrates that you're investing in yourself and you're also investing in growing yourself inside that classroom as well as in that unique community. And yeah. I think it's invaluable. No, I, I appreciate that. That uh, particularly, um, there's a there's a broad range of students these days. You know, the one term historically would be non traditional, but 
you know, that's just code for folks somewhat outside of that, you know, let's say 18 to 22, 23 timeframe. But regardless, right. everybody is, is there to become and to, to improve. And so I, I try to remind students across my years is that, hey, this is kind of a safe harbor to, uh, you know, figure it out. And so maximize that. Um, that's not minimizing it is, is the right. uh, inverse of what's the best process. Well, hey, listen, um, that's about our time for today. So I really want to thank you, Chris, for being the guest. Um, and as the guest, um, I've tried to develop a policy for the podcast that uh, allows the guest to have the last word. So what events or activities are of interest to you moving forward? What else would you like the listener, particularly students, to know about yourself, leadership, or innovation? I think you have students now that have a, an amazing, unique opportunity, similar to that unique opportunity that I had in the early 90s and the early 2000s, where there is an opportunity to transform an industry, whatever that definition of industry is in a unique way that benefits society as a whole. Think of the transformation that communications has had in terms of society as a whole. When you look at some of the things that have happened from a political standpoint, a geopolitical standpoint, et cetera, mm -hmm. good and bad. And your students have a unique opportunity to influence from a business standpoint and a technology standpoint that next evolution again i i call it a metaverse in terms of how do we drive that next generation of video and augmented reality etc that improves efficiency and improves society and also has some fun <laughs> so i i think you have a unique frontier in the segment that you teach in and develop in. And I just encourage your men and women to step forward and use the skills and talents that you're developing to make a difference. Make a difference somehow in your community and in society. Wow, really well said, make a difference. Uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and sign off with that, get, get better. I really appreciate you joining today and um, we look forward to being able to talk to you sometime in the future. Thank you. You're welcome.